So we start in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He chose me and you and also all of us so that we could worship only Allah. And also we thank that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made us from the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose me and you to be the listeners and the teller of the story of Muhammad Such a great uh, benefit that Allah has given us that we are here to speak about one of the greatest person who has ever walked on the face of this earth. So inshallah, where we left off, just to a very quick recap where we left off. As we mentioned last week, we mentioned a brief history about the Arabs and we said uh, we are not going to do like the other Mufassirun, how they start the seerah of Rasulullah, they just jump into his birth and that's how they start the seerah. I said I am going to do it the way uh, the greatest Imams before me have come at Tabari, Ibn Kathir, Ibn Ishaq, and they all mentioned the seerah of Rasulullah going all the way back to the Arabs, who the Arabs were and that's how the story starts. So we spoke about how Ismail السلام, was, uh, became an Arab, how he got this link with Juhum and how uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Ibrahim السلام, to construct the house of Allah and how Arabia was the first ever place which was worshipped, the only God that was worshipped that was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was no shirk in Arabia. Until we spoke about this man, Amr ibn Luhay, who is from Khuza'a, who actually defeated the tribe of Juhun and they came to Mecca and since then how Shirk came, how he made this journey to Sham. And this is how the Shirk came to this region. So, and we spoke about this hadith as well, where this hadith is in Bukhari. رَأَيْتُ عُمُرْ بِنْ عَامِرْ الْخُزَيِّ now we spoke about how he's carrying his intestines in the hellfire. And this is the punishment that Allah chose for him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because he is the man who brought shirk to Arabia. And then we, we spoke about how he, the people started worshipping and shirk became the only religion that was followed in the Arabian region. And ever since uh, there's a narration some of the ulama say this is not directly related to the story of Umar ibn Khattab, but there, there are some narrations which suggest that Umar ibn Khattab is telling the story where the people of Mecca, they were so much into the worshipping of idols, if they forgot their idols, they would make idols out of dates. And then they would start worshipping those idols. And when they fell hungry, when they could not find any food, then they would eat their gods as well. And so that's the kind of worship I mean they were doing. So you can imagine, it's a hoax worship in itself. I mean, can you ever imagine eating your own god that you were worshipping a few minutes ago? I mean, the children over here are laughing because it does make sense to them. They probably will never be worshipping something like that. So, 
Today, I want to speak about how other religions came into Arabia, this region. So I want to speak about how Judaism and Christianity came to this region. So we spoke about how the real Arabs were the early descendants of Thamud and Ard, and they were the ancient Arabs. And then came the second category of Arabs, which were the ones who were alive, the Qahtani Arabs. And this is where the Jurhum and the other tribes are from. And then we spoke about the Arabized Arabs, which is the bulk of Arabs today. The bulk of Arabs that come from the region of Sham and Hijaz and everywhere, they're the Arabized Arabs. That's the third category of Arabs who actually got married to an Arab or learned the language from an Arab and then acquired that language. So today we're going to speak about how in this region, how these other religions came. And this, uh, before we go, we want to go back to the story of uh, one of their greatest kings. And this is mentioned in the Sirah as well. Ibn Ishaq mentions this about this king called Rabia ibn Nasr. And this was a king of Yemen. And before Rabia ibn, uh, uh, Rabia ibn Nasr, there was a king whose name was Amr ibn Amr. Or Amr ibn Amr. So Amr ibn Amr was a king. And this is where we spoke about, if you guys remember, there was a dam in Yemen, the dam was Ma'rib. And so the water was diminishing from this dam because Amr ibn Amr saw some rats were eating through the dam and the water was leaking and he eventually realized that the dam would be, there would be no water and there would be no uh, point in living in this country. So he wanted to migrate. In order to migrate, because he was a king, so he hatched a plan. He said to his son, that son slapped me. And so this, uh, the, the story goes on. The son was confused and he's like, what do you mean? He said, just slap me. And he gathered all the people. And when his son slapped him, he said to the people, I cannot live in a land where a son slaps his father. So that was his plan, to leave the land. Because he knew that there would be no water over here and there would be no civilization. So this was Amr ibn Amr. And then after Amr ibn Amr comes this king, Rabia ibn Nasr. And this is the man who Ibn Ishaq mentions. Now you need to realize Yemen has been corrupted already with this uh, worshipping of idols, there's a soothsayers, there's magicians, there's different kinds of forms. I mean, if you go back to your countries today as well, we believe the magicians more than we believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, I can give you the example of the country that I come from. I mean, it's very evident. You can see me and you can make it out. I mean, I don't come from China. And I am not an Arab as well. So there's only one country left, which is Pakistan now. And so uh, in, in my country, it is very common that people go to the magicians first and then they go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afterwards. It's very common. I mean, some of you will be surprised. They have shops where a magician says, if you love someone, come and see us. She will be yours in 24 hours. No exaggeration. And if you need a job in Google, come and see us. You'll get the job as well. So everything, whatever you need, all the needs you have, the shops, 
There's about, there's a place in Karachi where I come from. In that place, there are more than 300 shops in the same area. You can choose which magician you want to go to. And that's 21st century. And so this is why the German society is. So Rabia Ibn Nasser sees this dream. And I want to read this dream. So the king has a vision. And this vision is he sees a piece of coal which fell upon the desert out of the darkness. And all with the skull tasted of this coal. So the only thing that was left for after that was only skulls left. The coal had burned everything. All the people of the land, both great and small, had been perished except for their skulls. Now Rabbi Ibn Nasr was very surprised. What does this dream mean? So I told him the society was corrupted by these magicians and the soothsayers. And if you guys, inshallah, in the coming days, we will speak about the story of the ditch as well. Ashab al-Ukhdud. So this is coming as well. So if you remember at that time, in Ashab al-Ukhdud, there's a magician. So he's getting old and he wants to train a younger person so he can take over. So this is what the Yemeni society is about. So now he calls upon all the magicians, all the soothsayers, and he tells, I've got a dream. And I want you to interpret this dream. And now, he says, I'm not going to tell you the dream. Because you're a magician. You should know what I have, you know, what I've dreamt of. Now, everyone says, you know, it's really hard. It says, there's only two magicians in the land who can tell you what you've dreamt of. One is Shik, and the other one is Sotaya. So these are the two people who can tell you. So the king says, call these people. And then Shik comes and says, he says, I want to test you, I've had a dream, and I want the interpretation of this dream. And the king says, Sotai is the first one, he says, King, you had this dream. And Rabia says, Sadat, you've said the truth. This is the dream I've had. He said, what does the dream mean? He says, O oh, king, the people of Ahbash, the Habasha, the region which is today Ethiopia, they will come over and take over your land in the coming years. And you will not be the rulers of Yemen. So now, it's a great teaser for you guys. Who was the king at the time of the incident, Abul Fil? What was the name of the king, kids? Abraha. Someone said Abraha. You know who Abraha was? Abraha was not an Arab. Who was Abraha? That's right, he was Ethiopian, he was from, he was Ahbash, he was Habashi. So this was a dream. So he's already seen this dream that they will take over. And so now the king is scared for the family. And he moves his family to a region in Iraq, it's called Hira. So Hira is a place in the current day Iraq. And he moves his family over there and he keeps only one son with him. And he keeps this one son, and he says, if I'm going to die, and if the Habashis are not coming, then he can take over the kingdom. And the other family is moved over there because he wants to protect his family. And that's everyone over here. When it comes to our family, we just want to protect them. And most of us are in this country. Why? Because we wanted our family to have a great future. I mean, no one can tell me that I have moved from the other country to serve this country. I mean, if you have, maybe you're greater than, then you're larger than life. But if you've come here for a better future, then it is exactly the human nature. 
And so now you need to understand the region of Sham is where, which is today modern day Jordan, Syria, Iraq, sorry, not Iraq, more Jordan, Syria, Palestine, and, and Lebanon, that's right. I always forget the Lebanese. I think they, they were on their own. So no, the, the Lebanon is a part of that. That's the four countries that made Sham. Iraq is not Sham. Iraq is the region called Najd. And when Rasulullah said, there's many hadith about Najd that will come. So now, what happens is, you need to understand the Jews used to live in Sham. And they had moved to the region, which in modern day we call Al Medina. Al Medina was known as Yathrib. And Yathrib was a region right next to, just to the north of Yathrib, was a place where was Khaybar. And Khaybar is in modern day Saudi Arabia. And so this is where the Jews were living. And that's about 150 kilometers. If you're going for Hajj, if your tour takes you down from Medina, it's north of Medina. It's Khaybar is where the dates and all these farms were. And that was a very difficult battle for Rasulullah And this is where Ali shined. And so just very quickly for the kids to understand, it's the Sahih Hadith. And it's mentioned in Tirmidhi. When Rasulullah after the battle, when the Sahaba come to lift up the gate of Khaybar, it takes 10 strong Sahaba to lift that gate up. You know when the battle started, who lifted that gate and plucked it out and threw it away? It's not like it went up in the sky, some of the narration says that, that's all da'if. He plucked it out, meaning if you are opening a door, he pulled the door out and he threw it away. And that was Ali radiallahu You guys think it was He-Man. I mean, the kids might think it's some kind of a Spider-Man or Iron Man. This is our superheroes. <laughs> Ali radiallahu pulled the door out alone and he threw it away. After the battle was over, when they picked up that gate, it took 10 strong Sahabas to lift that up. I, I mean, with the permission of your fathers, go home and try to pluck the door, which is your main door. You'll be lucky even to move it out of the screws. This is the courage and the strength of the Sahaba. And that's the door that you got from bunnies. We're talking about the door of Khaybar. This is a door that was made out of iron. And that's the one he lifted and plucked it out. So maybe inshallah we're gonna come to this hub as I said. So very quickly now, then you have the region which is just the south of, uh, very north of Yemen and the south of the current day Saudia, which is the region of Najran. And the Jiran is where the Christians were. So all the Christians used to live over there. And this was a predominantly Christian population. So if you remember the seerah of Rasulullah in Medina, when the Christians of Najran came and they lived in Medina, and they were worshipping, and they were the ones who worshipped Jesus, Isa And so they were the Christians of Najran. So this is how the Arabia was, and this is how the other regions were. A lot of us think that there were only idol worshippers. No, there were Jews there who were living in Yathrib and the north of Medina and in Medina because they were waiting for Nabiya. Now, all of a sudden now, after one king after the other, after the other, there came a king 
call. Now, before we go into that, a lesson for all the kids. Now, you need to remember this. Inshallah, I'll be testing you in the coming days. The king of Yemen is known as Tubba. Alright, the king of Yemen is known as Tubba. And the king of Sham is known as Qaysam. Alright? The king of Sham is known as Qaysam. When you read the seals and when you read these names, that's not the name of the king. It's the title of the king. Tubba is a Yemeni and Qaysar is a Shami. And the Persian is Qisra. Qisra is the Persian. And the Ethiopian is Najashi. Najashi was not the name of the king. That's the title of the king. So the Ethiopian, the Habashis are Najashi. Now the easy one for the Egyptians, and the Egyptian king is Fir'aun. So that's the title. When the Quran says Fir'aun, it wasn't his name, it was a king, so he was Fir'aun. And SubhanAllah, in my language, Ha is the most hardest thing for the normal, for the, uh, the, the layman to say, because we don't have Ha, everything is Ha for us. Like Ha Ha. <laughs> so we don't have to say Ha. So my name is Fahan. Where's my name Fahan? So sometimes people, even my own family members, when they tell my name to an Arab, it sounds like Fir'aun. <laughs> so this is a funny story and a very true story. And I was there, the man came up to me and he said, you are mashallah, you are sheikh and mashallah and everything. And why is your name Fir'aun? And I'm like, my name is not Fir'aun. <laughs> I'm like, my name is not Fir'aun. He's like, well, just ask the, your family. Your family member say your name is Fir'aun. So my name is not Fir'aun, my name is Farhan. Farhan. Yeah, it means happy. So these are the titles that you need to remember. So, you know, there should be a little bit of uh, jokes as well because remember when Aisha anha was asked about Rasulullah she said, how is Rasulullah in the house? You know what she said? Simple Arabic. Kana mazahan fil bayt. Kana mazahan fil bayt. There is always joking around. He was a happy man. And subhanAllah, if you ask the children of today, how's your father? So, I mean, for the ones who didn't understand, I'm not going to translate it. Maybe you can speak to the Arabs afterwards what it means. So, anyways, now this king, which is Tubba, his name is Tabban ibn Asad. Now, this is a king. He's a king of his own kind. He's a Tubba of Yemen. And this is where the seal is going to start. And this is how Judaism comes. The Jewish religion comes to Yemen. And so he is a king and he's a businessman as well. So he likes to expand his business, make more money and multiply his money. So Taban ibn Asad wants to go to Sham and he's got a deal that he wants to do. On the way, he passes Yathrib. I'm going to use the word Yathrib till Rasulullah migrates to that. Because this word Yathrib is not to be used in today's time. We don't use this word. Because it's the, Rasulullah gave it a better name, that's Medina. 
We always say Medina. But I will use it for the purpose of the seerah. So now, he passes and he looks at these people. And remember, Aus and Khazraj are also the Yemenis. Remember when I started the seerah today, I spoke about Amr ibn Amr, who told his son to slap him, and he used that plan to leave and run away from the country so he could justify that I cannot live in a land where kids slap their father. <coughs> and subhanAllah, it's a lesson for all the kids. Sometimes you don't slap your fathers with your hands, but you do it with your words when you're not listening to them. You know, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put for you that ihsan that you have to do to your parents is to respect them, is to listen to everything and not to even say the word. In Arabic, it's not even a word. Allah uses it in the Quran, uff. It's like an expression. You can't even say that. You know, when you say to your dad and your mom, stop breathing on my face. Give me a break. But the ones who are laughing, they probably are doing that. I'm just kidding. They are to be. So really, this is something we cannot do to our parents. If we don't like what they say, chew this, you know, chew that pill. Don't say anything. You gotta bite the bullet. That's what they say. If you don't like what your parents are saying, bite the bullet. Because if you are going to be quiet at that time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you. And that reward will come from your children. You know when we don't listen to our parents and the young ones who have children, they can actually relate to that. And when we didn't listen to our parents, and then our parents would say, when you will become a parent, then you will realize what we are going through. And subhanAllah, if you remember that time when your parents said that, and you know, we really know what goes around comes around. There's an Arabic saying, Kama tudinu tudam. In English we say, what goes around comes around. You were bound to your parents. Allah gave you the handful of children who are now doing the same what you did to your parents. So really, what we want to do is, we want to be respectful at all times to our parents. So now, when he passes Yathrib, he sees this is a place where you can do a lot of business. There's a people that have money. And there is a lot of uh, things he can do over here. So he has his son with him. And remember they have this now, this uh, culture they've developed that they don't keep their family in Yemen since the king had seen that dream. So they only keep one son with them and that son, if they die, he will become the leader and the whole other family, they live in the region in Iraq. That's where their family is living. So he tells his son to stay here. This is a place where he can actually make a lot of business. While he finishes his business at Sham and he comes back, and by that time, you can do some business with these people. And subhanAllah, when he reaches Sham, somehow his son gets in an argument with these people of Medina, people of Yathrib, and they kill him. Now, the Bar ibn Asad finds out that his son has been killed, and he's very angry. And he calls to Yemen to send an army, a strong army, and he wants to destroy Yathrib. 
and he prepares to leave from Sham and he waits for the army to meet him in Yathrib. And a big army comes and a battle starts between the people of Yathrib and Tabar ibn As'ad. And when, it's an amazing thing, Ibn Ishaq mentions this is never to be seen before. What kind of a people and hospitality of this people? It's, it's unimagined. It's beyond the imagination. They fight in the night, fierce battle. They're killing each other but in the day, sorry. And when the night comes, these people of Yathrib, they come with food. They come with medication. And they come with all the necessities of life and they give it to the Yemenis. And this Yemeni king is very amazed. He's like, what kind of people are they? In the morning they kill us and in the night they are so hospitable. And they come with all these things. Imagine, subhanAllah, will you treat your enemy like that if you are on a war with your enemy? I mean, we've got the rules of engagement in today's life. And when we engage with someone, I mean, you know, in a Muslim country right now, what's happening in different parts of the world, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save them, and especially the country which is going through the worst famine ever, is Yemen. And what's happening to them? They've been barred from the food as well. Their food's not even reaching the kids. And there's malnutrition, people are dying. And this is those people who laid the foundation for all the generations to come afterwards. And so you can imagine what's happening now. He's amazed. He speaks to, he says, what kind of a people are they? But he's very angry. He wants to take revenge. So he does not stop the battle. He wants to kill and he wants to destroy them. So it's come with full force. Now two Jewish monks, they come, the rabbis, they come and a monk is also used for Jewish and for Christians as well. A monk is someone who's, who gives his life for the sake. I mean, we, as the kids might be thinking, monks are only used for Buddhists, but monk is someone who does not marry, just dissipates in life. That's a monk. Could be a Jewish as well, could be a Christian as well. Alhamdulillah, there's no monks in Islam. If you're a monk in Islam, then you're in the wrong religion. Islam tells you to marry, that completes your religion. So the kids who are trying to think of becoming a monk, I mean, that's not the way to go. Islam tells you to multiply. As, and the more children you have, the better it is. You know, it's always the father thinks, do you think out of poverty that, oh, we're going to have more children, or how we're going to look after them? It's, it's better for us, Allah will look after them. Allah will. So have children. I mean, don't be scared of having children. Don't just go with what the government says. Two is more than enough. Two, two is not enough. Imagine if you have two daughters only. Now they one married in America, the other two others marry in Antarctica. That's not enough. So really, more children, and you know, I speak from experience, I've got four children, mashallah. I mean, I can't say, well, you know, may Allah multiply that my father-in-law and my mother-in-law is here. So I secretly say that in my heart. So what, really, what I'm trying to say is, they were, you know, having more children, don't be scared of that. And this is the Sunnah of Allah. And so basically, these Jewish rabbis come to him and they say, What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? And he says, 
I want to kill these guys. I want to destroy this city. And these Jewish people, these rabbis tell him that you're never going to be able to do that. In our books, it says that no matter what happens, Allah will send a prophet over here and he will establish his state in this city over here and he will be the one who will purify the region. And Allah will protect the city. If you would want to destroy it, Allah will destroy you. You can never do that. And then the man, Thabban ibn Asad, is very impressed by these people. And he says, who are you? There's every follower. He said, where do you learn this from? He says, it's in our book, in Torah. And that's where we learn it from. And it tells in our book, he says, what else does it say in your book? He says, in our book it says, Tawheed, worship one God. There's only one God we worship. And it tells them about different things. That this is going to happen. It tells them. And Thabban ibn Asad is very impressed. And he says, I want you to stay with me. And he calls off the war. And he pays a lot of attention to these two people. And now he prepares to go back to Yemen. And he tells them, you have to come with me. So then you can preach the same religion to my people in Yemen. And now on the journey, there's a tribe in Hijaz. Modern day Hijaz is everything. is Medina, is Mecca, is everything. And that's why when you read the hadith of the, when the Hijazis were the ones when they came back from the Ruku, they folded their arms as if they were back in uh, the position of Surah Al-Fatiha. And that's what Shaykh Al-Bani said, they was only done in Hijaz. So if you see someone after the Ruku, he folds his arms again, he's, from, he, he's following the Mazhab of Hijaz. And that was not the Mazhab of anyone else, that was only followed in Hijaz. So that was a region, Mecca, Medina, which is the current day Mecca, Medina. So there was a tribe called Hudayl. Hudayl was a tribe which hated the Meccans. And remember, the Meccans are the Quraysh's. And this is where the Quraysh will come. So they hated the, the Meccans and they hated the Yemenis. So the Hudayl goes in the night to Tabar ibn Asan. And they say to him, do you want treasures? Do you want gems, jewels, and all these things? And he says, who would not want these things? And he says, if you want them, then you have to go to this place, Mecca, and then there is a house. Underneath that house, there is all that what you want. The Baal Asad does not know what this house is. Now he's been told the direction, and he's getting his army ready, and he wants to attack. Who does not want all these things? The king, as I told you, was a businessman. He was always after, he wanted to multiply, so he's looking for an opportunity. He's got the army here, he wants to go and destroy Mecca. Now, these Jewish rabbis look at him and he say, well, you're getting ready for another war. Who are you attacking now? They say, oh, this tribe of Hodel came to me. And they said, there is this place in Mecca, this place, there's a house underneath, there are jewels and everything. And he says, they're right. But these are liars. They want you, they hate you, and they hate the Meccans. They want you to destroy the Meccans, so when you destroy that house, then Allah will destroy you. That's the house of Allah. That's the only house we know on the earth that is the house of Allah, and there's no other place. And now Tabar ibn Asad, as I said, paid a lot of attention. He says, now we are here, what do I do? He says, it says in our books, when you reach the house, make the wife. 
Remember I told you in the first day that Ibrahim when he constructed the house, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Azzin, call people. And he said, how would people hear? He said, you call them and we will, it's our job to invite them. We will take your call over there. So now, Tabani bin Aslan gets ready and he wants to go and make tawaf. And he looks at these Jewish rabbis again and they're not going to make tawaf. He said, like, why are you not going? And you're telling me to do tawaf. He said, we are rabbis, we're close to Allah, we're knowledgeable people. This house is corrupted by a lot of idols in there. So until those idols are in there, we're not allowed to go around this Kaaba. Until the Prophet will come and purify it, only then we can worship and go around. But you are a layman, and you can go, as everyone comes and worships the house of Allah. So there is no stopping you to go do that. And he starts, and he goes with the people, and he does tawaf, and he sleeps over there in the night. And now this is where he has this amazing dream. In this dream, he sees that he's covering the Kaaba with a cloth. Now this cloth is Kiswa as we know in current day. And this was the first time ever that Kaaba was covered. So he comes to the Jewish rabbis again and they said, Allah has given you a busha that Allah wants you to cover this house with a cloth. Prior to that, this house was never covered. It was how you see it with the bricks. And when they lift that up, it was exactly like that. There was no covering on it. And so now he orders the best of the clothes cloth to come from Yemen. As you remember from the Sirah of Rasulullah the best of the cloth actually was from Yemen. And he orders the cloth to come. And so when the cloth comes, he covers the Kaaba. Now, Kaaba was a place that was now, every year they would bring a new cloth and cover it. But they would never take the old cloth off. Never take the old one off. And this happened till Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of Rasulullah came. This is when the Sunnah which we have today started, where they would put a new cover and take the old one off. Why did he do that? Because the structure, when they looked at it, it was so many clothes over the, over the years which had covered the Kaaba and the structure they feared, if they put anything else on it, it would break and it would collapse. So in the time of Tabbad ibn Asad is the one who started to cover the Kaaba and every year they would bring a new cloth and cover on top of it. Every year they would bring a new cloth and cover on top of it. But when Abdul Muttalib came, and this is what's followed till today. So if you really were to just give a rough scenario, we're talking about 1600 years ago where they started to cover the Kaaba and take the old one out. So the life of Rasulullah, more or less, more or less, has been about 1500 years. When he came to Medina, it was 1440 years, according to our calendar. And when he came to Medina, he was 50 years old. And so that makes it 1490. So just a rough calculation, it would be about 1600 years when this sunnah started, to put a new cloth and to take the old one out. To put a new one and to take the old one out. Prior to that, it was one on top of other. So that's why now, if you can know, you probably know each other, your families, where you go to Hajj and Umrah and you bring the cloth of Kaaba. So what they do when they bring 
take the old one out, they cut it into small pieces and they sell it. And people buy it. A lot of time you get the fake ones. Because you got these street vendors. And so they say, Wallahi, this is one from the Kaaba. When people swear a lot, that means this one's from his house. He stitched it last night and he's selling it to you by telling you this is from Kaaba. This is, this is the norm. I mean, Muslims, you know, we just, what, even when we want to talk, and this is a, mashallah, you know, in, in our culture, we never had this word, wallahi. But this is a very Arabic word, wallahi. I grew up, I never knew this word, wallahi. So now, I hear this word every hour, I start, wallahi, wallahi, wallahi. So I know when it's coming, I know where it's coming from. The, the, this is how Muslims are. When we start talking, people don't believe it's one lie, brother, one lie. You, you listen to someone for at least five minutes and you start counting. If you had the sibha in your hands, just keep on counting. You probably will do a hundred in five minutes. That's a zikr in itself. The zikr of Allah is the greatest of zikrs. I mean, he did it in the wrong way, but he was saying Allah, 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 Allah. That's what he was saying. So now, the Kiswa is being changed as I, this is how it started. Now they're going back, and I'll conclude over here, I will go back how Christianity comes, which is going to be the next session. As we said, we're going to keep it sweet and short. But remember, never trust a preacher, because if they say sweet and short, it's never sweet. And it's never short. It's really lengthy and boring, and I'll put you to sleep. So, what happens is now, after covering, he goes back and he goes to his people and he tells these two rabbis he trusts. And he says that these people have taught me a religion and I have converted to Judaism. And I, and I believe in this religion. And I want you to believe in this religion as well. And they say, we don't buy this. We believe in our magicians. We believe in our soothsayers. And we believe in all these people. They don't buy this, what you brought from Arabia, these Arabs, you brought from them. So we don't buy this. And so he says, look, this is the true religion, whatever these people told me. And they say, okay, we'll call our magicians. And they had this norm in Yemen, this is how they would believe. They had this structure, inside the structure they had a fire. It's like a chimney, but a chimney with a door. So they opened the door, and if the fire came, and burn you, then that means the God did not like what you came with. And if the fire did not burn you, that means God has said yes to whatever you've come with. And basically how it worked, they would put one person on one side of the door and one person on one side of the door. And in, in, it, in itself, I mean, when we listen to it, it sounds really obnoxious. Why? Because the wind's blowing on the right side, definitely the right one's going to be barbecued. And if it's blowing on the left side, the left one's going to be barbecued. This was their culture. And so they said, okay, our magicians will stand on one side of the door, and these two people that you brought, they'll stand on one side of the door. And we'll open the door. Whoever the fire catches, that means they're liars. And we'll believe in the other religion. And what happens is, they open the door, the fire starts coming towards the magicians and they start running away. And so now, the people stop them. The people say, this is not the norm. We wait for the fire to come. And no one runs away. Because the fire takes revenge against the liars. 
And so they go and put their magicians back and put these rabbis back. And the rabbis have trust in Allah. They make dua to Allah. That Allah help us in this matter. And now it's not the matter of wind over here. This is the matter of Allah because Allah controls everything. So now, when they open the door a second time, the magicians don't move and they're burned alive. And these people of Yemen now, they start believing in this new religion, Judaism. And so this is the Jewish religion, how Tabar ibn As'ad, he brings this religion back to Yemen. Now they start, and they're Muwahideen, and they start worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أقول قولي هذا استغفر الله لي ولكم استغفر الله إنه هو الغفور الرحيم